Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Tonight we are continuing with the Home Improvement Series. Uh, home improvement. What in the world are we talking about when we talk about home improvement? Well, we are talking about the house that we have. You know, this is the house of God. God lives in you. And the Bible says that we should know and realize that our bodies are the temple of God. How in the world does that work? I don't know. It's just it's just way out there for me. Some things, you know, uh, 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 that you, you just take by faith, and that's one of them, that God would want to live in me, that God would, would move and make his house in me. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that, that one day, you know, uh, God lived in a box. He lived in this ark of the covenant. His presence, his power, his glory was in this box, a golden box, and it was carried around by priest. And then uh, he lived in a tent and was carried around all through the, the, uh, the uh, uh, wilderness and over into the promised land. And he lived at a place called Shiloh in Israel for about 400 years in the tent. And then the Ark of the Covenant was taken to Jerusalem. And then... Solomon built a house for him and they knew it as the house of God and it was ornate and it was wonderful. It was beautiful and it was ostentatious and it still wasn't, uh, you know, as amazing as God is. But God said something. He said, you know, one day I'm going to live in you. I am now with you, but one day I'm going to live in you. Uh, that's just simply amazing to me. That God would live in us, that God would make his home in us, but he has. You know, can you, uh, you imagine that the creator of the universe lives in you? Well, if you believe that, and we do, that's what the Bible says, I don't know how it happens, but I know that it happens, then perhaps I need to do a little home improvement. You know, maybe I need to, maybe I need to pay a little attention every now and then to my life for just, you know, sweeping out God's house and maybe getting some of the things out that, you know, uh, you know, I mean, if you were going to invite the president of the United States to your house tomorrow, if he was showing up at 10 o'clock in the morning, most likely you wouldn't be here. Most likely right now you'd be cleaning your house, Right. Yeah. Hey, Brenda went away for about, you know, 10 days. And you know what I did the last two days before she got home? I cleaned house. Why? Because she was coming home and I needed to clean house. You know, uh, uh, not all of us clean all the time, but all of us need to at some point take a look at our house and pay a little attention to cleaning our house. And so that's what home improvement is aimed at. We have spent some weeks looking at the enemies that present themselves to us and how to defeat the enemies in our life. But once we have our enemies defeated, once we, we, we are able to conquer those enemies, it's important that we spend a little bit of time rebuilding. And so tonight, again, we are continuing with home improvement. And tonight we're talking about building better. Building better. What are we going to build in our lives tonight? Well, last week we talked about building better habits. I hope you have some better habits. 
I hope that you have been able to uh, do some things this week and commit some things. Last week we left off just encouraging everyone to make a few commitments, not too many. Just work on one thing at a time, you know. And if you, you know, need to get up a little earlier or if you need to, you know, read your Bible or if you need to, you know, work on those special little cuss words that just jump out of you every now and then. If you have a bad habit... Well, you know, make a commitment that you're going to watch yourself. You're going to get God to help you and you're going to clean your house up a little bit. You're going to clean your life up a little bit because God lives in there. He's always with you. And he, you know, uh, if you're short tempered, if you're angry, if you just, uh, you know, uh, uh, fly off at the handle or if you have road rage, whatever habits you may have gotten along the way, it's important that you pay attention. You can ask God. And he'll help you remember. And after about six weeks, if you'll just hold steady, you'll end up with some better habits. Okay? Getting rid of the bad, replacing it with the good. Well, tonight, uh, we are going to be talking about building better marriages. Okay? Building better marriages. Oh. Uh, now, I realize that not everyone is married. Not everyone is going to be married. Okay? But most people know somebody that is married. And so in the event, you may be sitting there saying, what is this to me at the moment? Well, God's going to use you to help some people uh, in their situation. In the event you don't need it for yours, God will help you with theirs, help you to help them with theirs. But as well, it gives us a good picture of what God has done. Do you know that God is, uh, is married not only is he married, God's been divorced twice. Okay? I mean, I didn't, I didn't write this thing. He did. Okay? Uh, did you all know God has been divorced? The Bible says God hates divorce. You know why he hates it? It hurts. It hurts. You know how he knows? Because he has been divorced twice. He's divorced uh, uh, twice because of uh, the adulterous affairs, he said, that his wife, Israel, had against him. He said, I have divorced you. And he even told Judah... I divorced your sister for doing that very same thing. You don't think I'll divorce you? You're wrong. He hates it. He hates the reason and the need for it. Okay? But God considers himself a married God. Okay? Not only that, but the one thing he's looking forward to in the future is to marry his son off to the church. So we must realize that God is pro-marriage. He sees himself wanting, you know, these relationships, not only for himself, but also these covenant relationships for us. Uh, we simply do not know how God feels about some things. The Bible does not tell us if God is pro-cowboy or, or, you know, he, he does say pray for the saints. We don't know, you know, uh, so we, we know that he is at least, okay, uh, conscious of the NFL. But... Uh, <laughs> We don't know if God likes Pepsi or Coke. We don't know. We don't know where God weighs in on some things that are opinionated. We don't know. In fact, let me tell you, this might be a great revelation to you. We don't know what we don't know. But we do know what we do know. And God has seen fit to put in his word some things that he feels are critical for us to know. And he has seen fit to tell us some very critical and valuable things about marriage. He's not left us without witness and without instructions for the greater things of life. 
He wants to help us build better relationships, build better marriages. And his word is the most valuable instruction book on marriage that the universe has. You see, God invented, created, uh, instigated, formed, sanctioned. God thought it up. Whatever you want to say, marriage came from God. Okay? It's a God-created, God-given, God-instigated union between man and woman. It is a God thing. God is for marriages. He's pro-marriage. He invented marriages. And marriage only exists because God saw it was best from the beginning. And, and uh, you know, the original pattern for marriage is not only God and Israel, but also Jesus and the church and as well what we see when God brought Eve to Adam. It was God's original intent. He understood what he was doing and he was giving us a pattern for us to follow. Uh, marriage cannot and should not be relegated to political opinion or you know, some opinion-driven polls or some uh, uh, you know, um, emotionally dominated uh, news organization. You know, from time to time, we see marriage under attack in the media. In every generation, we have seen uh, the decline of relationships in that generation. And, you know, without getting bogged down in the defense of marriage, just allow me to set the stage, if you will, so we can see and understand marriage through God's eyes. I'm not asking you to look at marriage through my eyes, or, and I'm not asking you to look at marriage through traditional eyes or through the church or through, through what anyone else may believe. Let's see if we can see how God sees marriage. First and foremost, we understand, as I said, that God is pro-marriage. It's very clear that not everyone is married, not everyone will be married, and that it's not God's intention for everyone to be married. But... In the general terms, in general intent, God intended man and woman to come together in a covenant relationship that would last a lifetime. For them to have children and for them to teach their children how to follow the Lord and for them to populate the earth with more families just like them. That is God's general intent over the earth is to replenish it and to populate the earth. As I said earlier, God hates divorce. He hates marriages that end in divorce. He hates the reason why marriages end in divorce. But he put himself in that category in the Old Testament. He shared the heartbreak and the heartache. He shared the pain and the problems that, that someone goes through whenever they are so disappointed, whenever they are so let down, that dividing the covenant is the only thing that's left. This is, I believe, one of the main reasons why God has given so much attention and given such clear instructions is because he wants to help us build better marriages and indeed better relationships. Many of the things that I'm going to say tonight, tonight about marriage specifically will also work in every relationship that you have. So uh, without further ado, uh, remember tonight that the things I say, they are intended for you. Uh, you know, you work on you. 
You and your spouse, if you're in agreement, you can work together. But you cannot work on them. Okay? And so tonight, the word that I'll share is not intended for the person that's not here. And it's not intended for you to take it home and use it as a lever or a club. Okay? Hello? Use it on you. All right? There's some good advice, all right? Won't you turn and look at somebody if you, if, if you dare and say, okay, this is about me. <laughs> Uh-oh. Got you. You know, this is about you. If you can remember when you go, when you read your Bible, when you go to the Word of God, when you hear a sermon, if you can remember that God intended that to be for you and not for someone else, okay? Now, once you get it working in your life, God may want you to share it with someone else, but it might not be your spouse, okay? Uh, All right. Well, uh, without any further ado, let me tell you, uh, tonight, again, we're doing seven pillars. The Bible says in Proverbs that a wise man builds his house on seven pillars. He he hews them out. He, 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 he forms them. He fashions them. He absolutely makes and forms those pillars and finds them so that they will make his house stand strong. Now, seven foundation stones that I have been teaching for almost 40 years on marriage are the seven things we're going to talk about tonight. And if you would like to uh, find out more about it, here's a little marriage basic books, okay, that we keep next door. These are used all uh, over the nation and around the world for premarital and marriage counseling. They include the seven things we're going to talk about tonight, all right? Uh, And so you can uh, get it and read up a little bit more on it if you like. Number one, let me tell you, uh, I spent a lot of years surveying Christian families who got divorces, and I found seven things that would make a Christians get divorces, seven reasons why we identified that people who went to church and loved God and prayed together ended up in a divorce situation. And so I imagine that these things, if they were that critical, if people would split up over some of these things, if, if, if this is what we got to the root of and found out that this was actually the cause of that division, then if I I could preempt that with premarital counseling, if I could help people build some of these things in their life before they got to that point, before they got to a critical dividing point, then perhaps we could stave off some of those divorces and divisions. And so number one, a predisposition or a commitment to God and to his word, okay? A personal commitment. Number one, the number one thing you need if you're going to be married, the number one thing you're going to need if you're going to be in a relationship with anybody at all is a personal commitment to God and to his word. Not the commitment that your spouse has, not the commitment that your children have, not the commitment that your your, your parents had, but a personal commitment to God and his word. You see, God's word should always have final say in your life because if you are the biggest person in your life, if no one one can instruct you, if no one can teach you, if no one can correct you, if no one can tell you that you're wrong, then you are going to have problems that you will not have an answer for. And many times you will not accept it from a spouse. You won't accept it from someone else who may have a vested interest or may have something in their life to gain by you changing your mind. So I can tell you that if you will make a personal commitment to God and his word, then God will help straighten you out all through life. And 
I have seen people end up in divorce because there's not a third person, almighty God. There is no one bigger in their marriage than, than either one of them. And my opinion is as good as your opinion and my desire is as good as your desire. And nobody can get in the midst of that argument. No one, you know, when, whenever things happen between two people, no one is bigger in that relationship than their own opinions, their own hurts, their own feelings, their own, their own bitterness. And they end up with no one being able to speak authoritatively into their life. Someone needs to be able to tell you no. Someone needs to be able to tell you, you are wrong. No matter who you are. No matter, you know, I mean, how old we get. And that person should be God. Always listen to, always support, and always submit to the whole counsel of God's word. Joshua 1 and verse 8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. If you stray from the word of God and if you stop trying to do what God says do, you will find yourself not prospering and not being successful. It's as simple as that. When the Bible says forgive, that's where we ought to end our arguments about how bad it was and why we can't forgive. When the Bible says that we should love, when the Bible says that we should do anything, whenever God's word encourages us to do something, that's where our arguments should end. Because once we go past that, we are arguing with God. And listen, you don't have to be the other side of that argument. You don't have to defend God. You should obey him. But it takes a personal commitment to God and his word. We all need someone in our marriage. I can remember in 1980 exactly where Brenda and I were standing on the day that we made this commitment to God. I made it first and I said, God, I promise you. That anytime, anywhere, anybody speaks to me your word, Lord, when they bring your word to me, as long as, you know, I mean, it, it, it's the whole counsel of God's word. It's not like, you know, you know, he went and hung himself, you know, <laughs> that, uh, talking about, you know, Judas, uh, not, not just some obscure word. But whenever it agrees with the one word that God is telling, anytime, anywhere, anybody gives the word of God, Lord, that's where my argument will end. Brenda made that commitment too because she and I had been having arguments that there was no answer for and we were getting to the place where we were about to have some irreconcilable differences because her opinion, she's strong, she was opinionated, she was mean and I was, I was afraid and weak. I was strong and dominating and intimidating. You know, and we clashed and butted heads and there was no one in our marriage that was any bigger than me or any bigger than her. And she believed she was right and I believed that I was right. But when we made that commitment, I can tell you since 1980, it was in June of 1980, not one time has she gone back on her commitment, nor have I. When the word of God has been spoken, even in the greatest of conflicts, even in the most pressure, even in the most dire moments, I have always 
been able to depend on when I share with her the word of God or when the word of God comes in song or when we go and hear the word of God. I just pray that God will have somebody preach on something we're going through so that I can hear his word because, you know, you, you should go to a church where you, you should be getting your toes stepped on every now and then and challenged every now and then. You want a preacher who's hearing from God. When you go to, go to church, you can hear something for you, you know? And uh, man, I, uh, when I go home from here on Sundays, I, I tell you what, I often have a whole mess of repenting to do and changing, you know? That's just the way life is. Everyone should be that way. But when you hear the word of God, make a commitment, a personal commitment to God and to his word, that when you hear his word, even if it goes against what you think, you submit, you bow your knee, and you just say, okay, no more emotional issues, no more opinion-driven arguments, no more fears, no more feelings are going to rule my life. I'm going to trust in the word of God and put him in charge and just go with God. Number two, a second thing that, uh, that is going to help you build your marriage, a second stone, a second pillar is a personal commitment to covenant. What is covenant? Well, covenant is different than contract. You see, we, we uh, engage in contracts in this life. We're familiar with contracts. Contracts often protect us from one another. A contract says, I will if you will. A contract says, if you don't, then you have to pay me back. If you don't keep your end of the bargain, I don't have to keep mine. And, 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 and uh, then I am, I am you know, uh, I, I'm going to make you pay. That's what a contract does. But a covenant is different. A contract says, it is my good at your expense. I'm protecting myself from you. A covenant says, I'm exposing myself to you. It is your good at my expense. And even if you don't keep your end of the deal, I'm going to keep my end. I am responsible to God for 100% of my covenant. Only God can change this. You cannot stop obeying the word of God just because someone else does. You see, God puts people together in relationships first for what they can give, not what they can get. What you get comes later. Entering into a relationship solely for what you can get is not a covenant. Entering into a relationship for what it does for you is not appealing to the other person. Hello. But we should all understand that when God puts people together, God puts them together for what they can give to the relationship, not what they can get. Getting is a product, a byproduct of sowing. Reaping and reward and return is something that happens after we have invested, after we have given. So many times it is required of us to give first. And that's what love does. Love gives first, love gives most, and love gives always. That's what covenant is. Covenant is an expression of love. Covenant is an expression of me giving myself to you. That's what Jesus did for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for people who did not love him. He loved first, he loved most, and he will love always. He gave himself first, and now he was hoping that because he gave himself. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Wouldn't it be horrible if we had to go to God and prove to him how much we loved him before he loved us? No. The, the pattern example is that you invest, you sow, you give. And then if you get, that's a great, wonderful bonus.
Matthew 19, verse 6 says, So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, covenant is something that God makes between two individuals. And only God should be the one that decides when it ends. Amen? Amen. Uh, And he gives examples in his word how and when that is in order. God does not hate people who disobey him. He loves them. He doesn't stop working in their life. When you do something that God's not happy with, he does not withdraw from you. He gets closer to you. He gets closer to things that need to change. God knows that you can't change anything. You can't even change a flat tire without getting closer to it. And God is hoping that he can help us change. He gets closer to us when we do something we shouldn't do. He does not withdraw and withhold and, 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 and you know, hide and, and not want to see us. He gets right into our lives. He comes down and with his spirit and, 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 and surrounds us. The Bible says where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. God gets involved. We should never hear a word that points out one of our sins and leave feeling defeated or leave feeling, you know, like God doesn't love us or leave feeling as though that we should be, you know, uh, uh, you know, never come back again. We should always leave saying, my goodness, I just found out what I was doing wrong. I bet God has been getting closer and closer and closer to me and is surrounding me. And you can look around in your life and see how many times he has covered you and blessed you and been with you. You see, God is the ultimate redeemer. Number three, marriage. A third thing, a third pillar for marriage is a personal commitment to the roles, rules, rights, and responsibilities of marriage. You see, marriage has some roles, rules, rights, and responsibilities, and we need to buy into that. We need to buy into the fact that marriage roles exist. I know that society and news would love to to just absolutely erase all of the roles, all gender roles and marriage roles, uh, you know, uh, all workplace roles, but that's not possible. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 32 says, talking about marriage, says, this is a great mystery. You know, it really is. The marriage of a man and woman is a great mystery. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband's, uh, uh, her, her husband. But people often want to erase roles in marriage, rules, rights, and responsibilities. We are different. I know you've noticed that. And we're made different for different roles. Okay? Uh, it is a woman's role to, 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 uh, uh, to carry a child. It's not the man's role. Hello? I mean, I, there's just not much you can do about that. Okay? We are different. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 22 through uh, 33, tell us that, that we are different. And because of that, we need different things in life. We often want to give others what we want, but what we need to give them is what they need. And God has shared with us in the word that everyone has different needs. We have different roles in life. There are different rules. 
There are rules. There are some things that you can do when you're married and some things you can't do. That's just the way it works. You know, when you were single, you could do some things that you shouldn't do when you're married. Dating is one of them. Hello? And there are a few other rules. And if you don't buy into the rules, if you don't have a personal commitment to what it takes to be married, then perhaps, you know, maybe you need to reconsider getting married. Because there are also certain rights that go along with marriage. 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, talks about the rights that a man has as concerning his wife's body and what the woman's rights are with her husband's body. There are some rights. The man has a right to expect some things from a woman he's married to. And a woman has a right to expect some things from the man she's married to. These are justified expectations according to God's word. And, and there are also some responsibilities. There are some primary God-given responsibilities. The man, according to 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, uh, is, is, is the provider. The Bible says if a man does not provide for his own family, he's denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel. That means he's worse than somebody that doesn't even believe in God if he's not going to be a provider. Why? Because it's a primary role. It doesn't mean that a woman can't work. It doesn't mean that in times of, of, of difficulty and in some times in life that, that, uh, that these roles have to be and responsibilities have to be reversed. But the general intent that God is giving us as far as a relationship of marriage is the primary responsibility in general is that a man would take on the responsibility of making sure that he's a provider for the family. Homemaking. Titus, the second chapter, verses three through five. The Bible says that women, you should teach. The older women, let them teach the young women how to be homemakers. You see, the environment of the home is a primary responsibility of a woman. These are roles, rules, rights, responsibilities. I didn't make these up. You know, uh, God is not a chauvinist, okay? He just knows how to divide responsibilities, roles, rules, and rights. And he is the one that has decided this. He is the creator, the inventor, the instigator of marriage. You can be a lot of things, but if you want to be married, it may be important that you buy into that it's going to take a personal commitment in order to be successful, a personal commitment to doing what is required of you. If, for example, you are just absolutely dead set against driving. I mean, if, if you have decided that you hate driving, you hate it, and you're never going to do it, then let me encourage you to not become a taxi cab driver. Don't go to work for Uber. Why? Because driving is required. And if you are just dead set against roles, rules, rights, and responsibilities that marriage demands, then let me, you know, save yourself a little time. Just decide that, you know, maybe I'm not ready for marriage. Maybe, maybe that's not what, you know, what I need in my life is all that pressure to drive the car or to fail because you will be faced with failure constantly. If you continue in the relationships, in any relationship, without doing what the responsibility requires for that relationship. If you get a job 
that, re that, that requires 40 hours a week and you are just absolutely dead set against getting up and going to work on time or giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, then I'm going to tell you, you will be fired. Firing is in your future. Okay? It will happen. And let me tell you, it will happen every time you get another job. If you are dead set against doing things that marriage requires, then I'm telling you, you are headed for a failure. And it will fail every time you get remarried until you decide that you want to do, that, that, that you, you actually want to stop being single. Okay? You have to buy into some rules. Am I making any sense tonight? If you don't buy into some rules, if you don't have a commitment to some of the rules of marriage, then please, you know, save your intended spouse some real trouble down the road okay, because you will be headed for a failure. Uh, number four, communication. What does communication mean? Uh, communication is one of the strong pillars of any relationship. Communication means that the message that is sent is the same message that is received. That what you actually intended to communicate, I am receiving. Okay? That's communication. Without that, then you're not communicating. Okay? You may think you're saying what the other person uh, should understand the way you meant it. But if you continue to have problems of being misunderstood, if one of your go-tos is, well, no, that's not what I meant, then you may want to back up or shut up for a while. Okay? Because evidently, you're not communicating. Uh, and if you keep saying, well, I thought that's what you meant. Well, I thought that's what you wanted. I thought, that, well, okay, hold on. There may be a little problem. Communication is one of the most critical things in any relationship. And it's important that we let God help us to communicate. One of the rules of thumb in communication is that, number one, seek first to understand before you try to be understood. Seek first to understand the other person before you seek and press to be understood. So many times people get into arguments because they say, well, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. Well, all the time you're saying that, you're not listening to them. Hello? <laughs> okay, some of you can just go home and work on that one thing, and it'll help so much. <laughs> Communication. My daddy used to say this to me. He'd say, son, if you take some of that cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth, me and you both would be better off. The Bible says in James 1, verse 19, here is one of your pillars that you can put in your life. So then, my beloved brethren, let, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. If you can just put that in your, in, 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 in your armor and make a commitment, God, give me the habit of being slow to speak. 
Give me the habit, Lord, of being a good listener. Lord, uh, give me the habit, Lord. Help me, God. Remind me when someone begins to talk, to pay attention to them and to listen to them and then ask them to clarify and then parrot back to them what they said. Okay, you know, so this is what I, what I understand you to mean. And then you say that. And if they say no, I promise you they'll redirect if you get it wrong, all right? And they'll help you. And then you can get used to understanding what other people are saying. And then if you don't like it, you can say, no, I ain't doing that. There's plenty of time to say no. There's plenty of time to say you're wrong. There's plenty of time to say you're stupid. Don't let that be the first, you know, jump out of the box. (laughs) You won't lose your chance. Listen. Ask for clarification. Redress it. Parrot it back. Repeat it, okay? You will find that you can communicate. Number five, forgiveness. Uh, If you're unable or unwilling to forgive, then you're going to be headed for trouble in marriage. There's nothing you can do to rewind the clock. You can't turn back the clock. You can't undo what you did, unsay what you said. Okay? And so forgiveness is a necessity in any relationship. Forgiveness does not mean that I'm not going to be upset anymore. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt anymore. Forgiveness doesn't mean that, okay, you know, it's, it's okay. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I'm okay with you. Forgiveness means that I have given this to God. I have given it up and I am no no longer, you know, uh, uh, going to, uh, you know, continue to fuel this thing. Doesn't mean I'm happy. It just means that I'm not going to let this eat my lunch, get between me and God. It doesn't mean restoration. It means that I'm not going to try to exact, not trying to try to punish I'm not going to try to hurt. I'm not going to retaliate. Forgiveness. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. Number six, money. Do You know, in marriage, you're going to have to learn to agree on how you spend your money. If not, you're headed for trouble. People, I, I have found, don't often uh, get crossways net, uh, on, on how much money they make, but rather on how they spend their money. Disagreements can divide and destroy relationships, and the love of money is the root of all evil. Money wants to be your God. And it's important for you as a couple to get some agreement in your life. Discuss and decide upon a spending plan. It's important that you have a plan on how you're going to spend your money, that you agree on how to spend money, that you agree on this because money will give you a run for your money. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. You see, agreeing that whatever we do with our money is going to honor the Lord. Getting some agreement, deciding how are we going to spend the money that we have. Very important. And uh, I know I'm not giving full time to these things, but you can certainly, uh, uh, if you sign up outside, we will order cases of these books, okay? And uh, it'll give you a little more information And it even has in here a a sample of some spending plans. And it has uh, some other things, some testimony in here. But uh, number seven tonight 
If you are going to have a successful and build a successful and strong marriage, you're going to have to pay some attention to family and friends. Family that is uh, 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 too close and friends that are too close. You might say, how do I know if a friend is too close? Well, when your spouse says a friend is too close, guess what? They're too close. Okay? Just take that as a good rule of thumb. Okay? Leaving and cleaving. It's important, the Bible says, as God talked about in Genesis 2, verse 24, Adam said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one. Whenever uh, families, whenever uh, mom and dad won't stay out of a marriage, it doesn't mean that they, they're, they're, they, you know, they should be honored, they should respect, be, be respected, but they're not dictators in a marriage. It's important that we learn how to leave and cleave. It's important that we not tear things up, learning how to leave and cleave. It is also important we continue, as Ephesians says, to honor our mother and our father all the days of our life so that our days may be long. We also need to establish some friendship boundaries. The Bible tells us that there should be some boundaries on our friends. If you have a friend that does not support your marriage, you get rid of that friend. Okay? Cut and dry. I speak from experience. If you have a friend that is not supporting your relationship, if you have a friend that, that feels they have a freedom to talk bad about your spouse, uh, send that friend down the road. Okay? There's no reason letting someone into your life that's going to be you know, uh, 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 doing damage to your spouse and your children and your family. And there's nothing stronger than words. Be supportive of families and make sure your friends support your families. Protect your family. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. You know the kind of friends that I want? Same kind of friends that God wants. The same kind of friends that Jesus wants. Friends that support my relationship with my family. Friends that support my relationship with my spouse. Friends that love my children. Friends that care about them. Friends that honor my parents and respect my parents. And if, if my friends cross those lines, then I'll probably let them know that we can't be friends anymore. Because family is the only thing God is working for. The only thing God ever wanted to be was a father. And the only thing that God will have left from all of his work on planet earth is family. That's all he's working for. He's working for family. Okay? And so let me encourage you to realize that the family unit begins with a marriage. And if you will build a strong marriage, paying close attention, making sure that God and his word can tell you no. Making sure as well that you have a personal commitment to covenant. I, it's not that you're just doing this as long as somebody else does. And if they don't, if they stop saying I love you, you're going to stop saying I love you. If they stop doing their part, you're going to stop doing your part. Don't do that. Don't do that. Even Shakespeare, as shallow as he was, said uh, uh, love does not bend with the remover to remove. Just because someone else withdraws does not mean you do. You please God. And when you please God, God will work on your spouse.